0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On June 23, 1972, Title IX of the Civil Rights Act was signed into law by President Richard Nixon. This amendment prohibits federally funded educational institutions from discriminating against students or employees based on sex. Unfortunately for Linda Jefferson she graduated high school just weeks before this was enacted and did not receive any scholarship offers. This leads into this week's story because she ended up becoming one of the greatest football players of all time for the winningest team in pro football history, the Toledo Troopers. Welcome
1: to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host
0: is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. Great Scott. This time to step up the DeLorean. It is 1971, and we're in Toledo, Ohio. Ohio, that's a place known for football. But this time, we're here to witness the birth of what would become the winningest team in pro football history. This team is the Toledo Troopers, a team not widely known to the regular or even maybe hardcore football fan. But once you hear of this story, you can't help but be astonished at the nearly decades' worth of sheer dominance. And that's just one of the many stories we'll read about in the book from this week's guest, Russ Crawford. Russ's book is titled... Women's American Football, Breaking Barriers On and Off the Field. We'll get into some of the stories from this book in this week's interview, but first, let me share with you a little bit more about our guest. Russ Crawford is professor of history at Ohio Northern University in Ado, Ohio. His latest book, Women's American Football, Breaking Barriers On and Off the Field, was published by the University of Nebraska Press in November of 2022. Along with several chapters on sport history, he has also published two earlier books. Les Football, the History of American Football in France, was published by the University of Nebraska Press in 2016. And his first book, The Use of Sport to Promote the American Way of Life During the Cold War, Cultural Propaganda 1946-1963, to was published by Edwin Mellon Press in 2008. And now that you've been properly introduced to this week's guest, let's get into the interview with Ross Crawford. kind of alluded to a little bit of like the reason why, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but I want to first give you an opportunity to give like, we'll say the elevator pitch for women's American football, breaking barriers on and off the field.
1: Well, it's a great story. I mean, a lot of people don't know, many people don't know that women actually play American football or tackle football. One of the habits I, I, I'm into is whenever I travel someplace, when I take an Uber or cab or something like that, I ask the cab driver, the Uber driver, if they've ever heard that there's a women's football team in their town, and, and almost uh, routinely, they don't. Uh, and so, it's a story that not a lot of people know about, and it started, you know, back in the 70s, women started playing organized tackle football in leagues. Uh, back in the 1970s, and are still doing it today. There's probably around a hundred teams playing uh, tackle football in the United States, and and many, many more around the world. And so, I think the way I put it in in the, the introduction of my book is, uh, once the blinders fell off my eyes, I could see there were women's football teams everywhere. You know, there's four here in Ohio, or there were four here in Ohio before COVID hit. Uh, maybe two are left now. It's sort of up in the air. But it's a fascinating world that I discovered when I started researching this.
0: So, what, okay, I mean, you started researching it, and, you know, how how long ago would be the first? When did you start this book, Research?
1: Uh, let's see, I think around 2016. No, wait, that's probably not right. 2017. Uh, Actually, the first time I I heard of women's football was when I was researching my book uh, Le Football, A History of American Football in France. And so I came across the sparkles of Villeneuve Saint-Georges in France, the only women's team there at that moment. So I wrote about them there. And so after that, I actually I was in France and went to the championship game of the Challenge Feminine, the Federation Francaise de Football Americans uh, Women's Championship and a buddy of mine who you know, cued me into French football, we went to the game and he had a big camera so we got a press pass the owner of the team obviously thought camera equals press <laughs> and so I wrote up that uh, for a blog here and I thought that was uh, a Good new research project: women's football, and it's turned out to be a blast. Uh, You know, uh, there are teams everywhere. There are a lot of great stories of women playing, and so that's how I got to this point and started in probably 2017, I think.
0: So we'll call it a four to five year in the making, and everything. I mean, how uh, how did you go about determining, you know, to set up the book? Like, how was the book? Uh, timeline.
1: Well, the introduction and the first well, the introductions mainly about football up until oh, say, Title Nine. Um, there's a an English uh, scholar who's writing about the pre Title Nine women's American football, and so I figured I, you know, focus on after Title Nine, and so then I organized it by leagues, basically you know, the history of various leagues, starting with the women's uh, professional football league and then the independent women's football league and that sort of thing.
0: Okay. So it's just kind of like, I mean, if someone were to want to break into research a particular area, they could just go to that chapter. They could read the whole thing first and then maybe go back and and read through chapter by chapter for specific topics.
1: Yeah, it's it's by league, so if you're interested in the Independent Women's Football League, then there's a chapter on that. They're no longer with us. And uh, so if you're interested in the Women's Football Alliance, which is with us, then you can go to that chapter. There are sections on specific teams. Boston Renegades are one of the best teams now, along with the Texas Elite Spartans, so there are sections on those Teams and some of the games they've played. You can dive deep into certain areas. It's not every team that's ever played, but uh, mainly the the big teams like the Toledo Troopers, for instance, back in the nineteen seventies. Probably one of the best women's, well, one of the best professional football teams ever. Seven straight championships. So
0: yeah, I mean, we I uh, I'm really. Drawing a blank on who I spoke to, what book they had, uh, but yeah, we we got Steve. it. What's that, Gwynnon Um, nope, I I really can't remember what it is now. It was about a women's football league, and it was about three months or four months ago. We we touched on that topic about like basically they had the best record in any professional football mm-hmm. sports. Uh, so we hail Mary, hail Mary. I think that sounds right.
1: By De La Cortez and, um, Dark Angelo.
0: Yes. Yes. We, 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 discussed that. And then of course we went into different various topics and, I um, mean you know, the the books come out like what, maybe five, six months apart from each other. Did you guys collaborate at all or was it kind of solo projects?
1: No solo projects.
0: Did you even, were you even aware that they were, they were working on it or vice versa?
1: I was aware that, um, uh, Hail Mary, it was coming out, and fortunately it came out so I could, you know, to cite some of the, the information they had. They had some information I didn't have. Um, we Are the Troopers by... Um, let's see. Uh, let's see, someplace. Uh, Stephen Gwinnon. Uh, didn't come out until after I was done with the editing process. I, I The... Documentary, I think, might have came out of the same name. We are the Troopers, uh, but no, we didn't collaborate. It's and everything's coming out right around the fiftieth anniversary of Title IX, which is you know, maybe it's just a cosmic coming together thing.
0: Right, right, yeah. I mean, it, it whatever happened, it just it was kind of like a timing thing. And I was uh, speaking of timing. I I played this game on my show every. Uh, guest gets to, I don't know if you can see this in the thing here, is a DeLorean. Uh-huh. So you're going to go back in time with me. I know you said you didn't really do a little bit of the prehistory, we'll call it, but let's go back to, uh, take me to the time when uh, women first started playing football in the United States. Well,
1: it was 1896. There was a game reported on in, in the New York papers. It was at New York uh, some club there in New York City. I think the College students spent the night drinking, and then said, "Hey, let's uh, let's go out and see if the women can play football." And they played for about oh, five minutes before the police moved in to stop the game because mayhem was ensuing. <laughs> so, but then in in the 1920s, Toledo had a barnstorming uh, two barnstorming teams that played and. These uh, promoters were apparently making some money until people like um, Lou Henry Hoover, the first lady of the United States, stepped in and said, you're exploiting women, you shouldn't be doing that. And they, the chances, the places where they could play sort of dried up. Uh, and so the women lost their chance to play. So there have been women playing here and there. The... Los Angeles Amazons, which was a softball team that also played tackle football. You can find videos on YouTube of the games. Uh, there were the Powder Puff Games starting at Cavour High School in Huron, South Dakota. Um, so women have played here and there since probably 1896. And you know, football didn't start until 1869, but... Uh, were men, so not long after the men started playing, the women started playing, and of course it's a popular game, and so women enjoy playing it. It's just that they've had to fight some societal reactions. You know, there's never been anything in the United States akin to what the British did. They, the British Football Association, soccer uh, banned women's sport, uh, the women's game, or wouldn't allow any of their fields to be used for women's um, soccer. But there's never been any sort of a ban. We don't have an overarching football authority here in the United States, so there's never been anybody to ban it. But, you know, parents and, you know, other social critics have pressured women probably not to play that sometimes have played. So largely women in the United States have had the freedom to play Uh, whenever they wanted to, it's not easy. It hasn't been easy for them because you have to find equipment. I think these two barnstorming teams in Toledo had to get uh, some junior, you know, little kid teams equipment and use that. So equipment, fields, that sort of thing haven't been easy. But I I suppose it seems that in in history, if women have wanted to play badly enough, they had the freedom to do it here.
0: How, when did that, I mean, this is way across the pond, but when did the ban in Britain get lifted?
1: Well, it started in 1922, I think. And I think it was maybe in the 70s or 80s even.
0: So it lasted quite some time then.
1: It lasted quite a while. Huh. Now that didn't stop women from playing soccer. I mean, it just wasn't officially sanctioned by their association.
0: I see. I speak in association and you mentioned barnstorming tours and such. What about when was the first like official organized professional league here in the states?
1: That was in the 1970s. The Women's Professional Football League that uh was the subject of um Hail Mary. That was the first organized league. Semi-organized at least. <sighs>
0: Right, right, yeah, and then so like, just maybe give a quick, quick timeline. The listener, of the show, can read it in the book, but like maybe some of the primary leagues that were from then until now.
1: Well, in the 1970s, there was the WPFL. Uh, after that had faded, uh, there was another. Oh, and I'm forgetting the acronym now. There was another successor league with some of the same teams. The Toledo Troopers became the Toledo Spitfire. That faded out in the mid 80s. And then it wasn't until 1999 that another couple of organizers decided to start a, a barnstorming, uh, a couple of barnstorming teams, the, the Minnesota Vixen and the Lake Michigan Minx. And that ballooned into another league. That one, the the promoters and the the women who played and who owned the teams didn't get along so well. And so when that one started fading, after about a year, they turned it into a league. And again, I'm not remembering the name right off the top of my head. Then there was an explosion of leagues. Everybody went off in their own direction and started their own league. Um. Uh, the independent Wood Women's Football League emerged out of that as one of the strongest leagues. Then, some of the, the the owners and players from that league decided they had a better idea, and they formed the Women's Football Alliance about the same time, uh, which sort of irritates the women who play full uniform tackle football, the legend or the lingerie football league. Uh, became a thing in 2009, I believe it was, about the same time the the Women's Football Alliance started. Um, And so the Women's Football Alliance began eclipsing the Independent Women's Football League, which eventually, well, died. Uh, It folded. Um, But out of the Independent Women's Football League, the Women's National Football Conference uh, began and so they and the WFA, the Women's Football Football Alliance, are the two main uh, leagues at the time. There have been, you know, probably eight or ten or maybe even more other leagues that have, you know, been in and out and, you know, and tried to, to take some, to get some momentum but have failed to do so.
0: Yeah, now we're here. I mean, one of the questions you asked in our pre game, we'll call it, but you sent me a few bullet items and you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, how have American women done in international competition? Are you referring to like traveling? I mean, wh- what was that?
1: No, the uh, just this past summer in uh, Vanta, Finland, the United States won their fourth. Uh, Women's World Championship sponsored by the International Federation of American Football. Uh, So the first one was in 2010 in Stockholm, I think. Uh, We won that one. The second in 2013 in Vanta, Finland. We won that Well, we won them all. The third one was in Langley, British Columbia in Canada. And uh, we won that one as well. So we've won all four of the FF Women's World Championships. Uh, the only difference this year was that it became a little bit harder. Uh, the first year, we beat everybody by probably 60 points, including the Canadians in the final game. Uh, the next, well, it might have been yeah, 60 points. Um, I think in 2013 was the first time anybody scored on us. Uh, the German women had the temerity to score a touchdown against us and make the score 7-7, seven to seven, I think it was. And so this was on the 4th of July. The Germans scored on us, and so Team USA apparently got ticked off and reeled off 100 straight points. Oh, wow. To <laughs> and they won 107-7.
0: And that's, that's a standard, I mean, the, the, the four quarters and everything, right? I mean, normal. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's a lot of points to score.
1: A lot of points. We And, of course, we had most of the women who had been you know, playing a, a lot of a good competition. But um, it got a little bit closer in 2017. Um, we only beat Canada by... 23 points, I think it was, and my memory might not be that great, but we didn't blow them out. And they actually scored. I think they scored first, so they were ahead in the game. And we didn't run off 100 points on them. Um, This last Women's World Championship, uh, we defeated – let's see, who did we play first? Well, whoever we played first, we beat them pretty handily. Oh, we played the Germans again. And this time, we only beat them by 45 or so points. So they had improved. The second game we played against Finland, the Finns were actually ahead at halftime. Uh, Still, the Americans have, you know, a hugely deep team. We were coached by Callie Brownson, who's an assistant coach for the Cleveland Browns. She was the head coach of the women's national team. Um... And so we came back and won that game, of course. Uh, And then we played Britain, Great Britain, in the final. And they tied us. uh, We were tied at halftime, which was kind of a shock. Uh, The American team was used to pretty much beating everybody uh, like a drum. Uh, Again, we came back and won the game. But still, it, it showed that the world is catching up a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's I mean that happens a lot in those sports where the origin is in one country then as international games go it starts to get or even regionally within uh America as any sports come up. Uh did you did you actually get a chance to interview? Was it Callie Jensen you said was the name of the coach? Brownson. Bro, Did you get to interview
1: I interviewed her back when she was a player. I talked to her a little bit, not a full interview at the Women's World Championship, but I interviewed her when she was playing with the DC Divas of the Women's Football Alliance. So,
0: going how how many interviews, or I guess that's the best word. How many interviews did you perform for this book?
1: Probably around two hundred and fifty. Oh wow! All
0: across the gamut—players, coaches, what were?
1: Yeah, mostly players. Um, a few coaches, a uh, few owners, uh, for instance, I interviewed one of the, the owners of the Austin out, outlaws, uh, back in the good grief NWFA, maybe <laughs> all these leagues just, you know, run together in my head other than the, the current ones and some of the older ones.
0: Yeah. Same uh, thing. So yeah, I've never, I was just going to tell you the same thing when I do my shows too. Is like you get you talk about so much different history with people, and you like just even that book Hail Mary. I was like, what? I I can't remember the name of it for now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've interviewed women from oh, I don't know how many countries, probably twenty or so countries, uh, including a woman, a couple of women from Morocco, several women from Morocco, which is not some place you'd think of American football being played um some from russia a lot from england uh france finland so yeah I've, I've been able to talk from women from all over the world which is kind of cool
0: yeah different cultures and be able to see the different perspectives and everything it's always neat did you were, were any of these in person w- across in different countries or were they all like zoom or calls uh
1: some of them were in person The uh, USA football was thinking about doing something about these point differentials in international competition. They wanted to raise the level of international competition. And so they began the Women's World Football Games. And these took place, I think there were five of them, uh, a couple of them in New Orleans at the Saints practice facility, one in conjunction with the Pro Bowl in Tampa, I think it was. And a couple of others, <clears throat> and so I went to the 2018 Women's World Football Games. There were women from 15 countries, maybe, at the New Orleans Saints practice facility, and so I did I think 30 interviews there uh, with women. I've talked to women in France. Um, let's see, at this last. Uh, Women's World Championship. I was in Finland for a couple of days. I saw the first game in person, and I interviewed uh, some Finnish women. And let's see, was there any others? I interviewed some of the German uh, German coaches, British officials, and uh, let's see who else. I didn't get a chance to talk to the Mexicans. They were late in arriving because their federation. Apparently had problems, we'll, we'll call it. So. <laughs> well, you, you rallied yeah, so off,
0: to, I would say you rallied off at least seven or eight different countries, and you mentioned 15 or whatever were in New Orleans. So, what was the the, the biggest theme of where they seemed consistent in how they thought about the game, or what was maybe one a unique perspective that you had that one of them had?
1: They all like to hit people. So every once in a while, I back up a little bit with you know doing my interview because I was afraid if I moved too fast, they you know knock me down. Uh, they they love the game, and I suppose they they love it with the the fire of a new convert to a religion or something like that, uh, because it's a game <clears throat> that not many women play and not many women know about even, and so when they find it. They wrap their arms around it and drive it into the ground.
0: Yeah, no, I can imagine that. Just like you said, because it's you know you're you're one of few versus one of many. You know, as as here, like for instance, just say American football is the number one sport, and everybody knows. But that's the men's side of things. So talking to these, okay, I, I was going to ask you another question about the interviews. Uh, what's a? Let me forget how I want to answer. I'm going to ask you two different... Well, ask this one first. Okay. Give me one story that was very cool from somebody, just like a unique story
1: first. Well, I was talking to probably a 15-year-old girl who played for the one of the teams in the Utah Girls Football League out in Salt Lake City, and she was just so tough. She said, you know... I had a concussion in one game, and her mother was there talking to us as well. And she was giving her mother a hard time and said, Yeah, Mom, you were crying. You were the one that was crying when I got my concussion because I couldn't go back in the game. And she said, Yeah, one time I had two cracked ribs, but I didn't tell the coaches because I didn't want to come out of the game. And I said, "Geez, you must be tough. And she said, No, I'm a wimp, but I wait till I'm in the car to to show the pain. But she was, you know – yeah, we we have celebrated that sort of toughness in our culture at times. You know, Willis Reed getting a shot, Carrie Strug you know, sticking the landing, and maybe we we're starting to move away from that. But it's it's kind of refreshing to see you know a 15 year old girl playing with broken ribs. It's probably not a bright thing to do, but you know it's it's a tough thing to do.
0: Yeah, it's a it, that is definitely I mean use the word tough a tough thing to to think about because I grew up to, yes, it was, um, you just put some dirt on it. You go back in the field and I know I'm, you know, maybe not to your tenure on this planet, but it's one of those where I believe it's, it, it's tough. It's challenging to move forward towards a different perspective at the same time, not lose, lose that perspective to me. I think that competition and losing is very, very important to be able to help just a person on their journey in life. So what? What's the? Uh, I'm gonna okay. So here's how you went into this an interview, or you went into a research topic, whatever it may be, and you had maybe a preconceived notion, and then something that piqued your interest. You're like, wow, that totally changed my whole point of view on this topic.
1: Well, if you watch your you know movies about women wanting to play a men's sport let's see, Goldie Hawn was in a movie about coaching a boys football team all that sort of thing you have the idea that the the boys club out there is going to say, yeah, you can't play uh, we won't let you, you're not going to do it you know, there's a lot of pushback and one thing I found in my research was there's not much of that, you know, there. Uh, the, the Toledo troopers remembered, uh, you know, a couple of people driving by while they're practicing saying, go back in the kitchen or something like that. But that doesn't, that seems to be the exception rather than the rule. You know, most of the women I talked to and the girls I talked to had enthusiastic parents who had friends who supported them. And most of them, when I asked them, well, what did your friends think of this or your family? And they said, well, they know me and. You know, they just said, okay, yeah, that's, that seems right. Um, one of, I guess one of the few women I talked to is a woman named Nausicaa Orto who is Italian. She works for NFL Films now. But uh, when she started playing in Italy, uh, when she came home and, and put her shoulder pads and helmet down, her father would throw them in the trash. Mm. After a few times doing that, she started leaving her her equipment at a friend's house, uh, but kept playing. Uh, So I didn't see a whole lot of women telling me they faced a lot of resistance. Sometimes from parents, but of course most of the women I talked to were in their at least late 20s or 30s when they started playing, so not much people can say then.
0: Right. Yeah. And I wonder if, say, we, you know, hop back in my DeLorean again and you went, you were able to go 50 years, you know, like you said, the 50 anniversary, 50 years back, I, I believe it would have been a little different conversations at that point. I would imagine anyways.
1: Well, that would have been the Toledo troopers. And again, they had people driving by their field, yelling silly things at them. Uh, they had one player who was very good, whose parents told her to quit. I'm, I'm remembering from Gwinnon's book. Um, but for the most part, you know, the women had the freedom to play. Um, and they took it. You know, there wasn't anybody out there. Linda Jefferson, who was one of the great running backs of, of all of football, really, um, had to convince her mother that she could play first, but she started secretly practicing and then came home one day wearing her uniform and her mother said, oh, it's football, huh? You know, and so for the most part, uh, the women who managed to play didn't face a lot of you know, major hurdles. They had people looking askance at them and you know, saying, well, that's not very ladylike and that sort of thing. Now, there are probably a lot of women who might have wanted to play football who were stopped. So I've got a, a response bias in that I'm talking to the women who managed to play football or reading about them. I'm not talking to the ones who couldn't because their fathers or mothers, mothers seem to be the big ones there, uh, wouldn't let them play.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, how many. Were not able to or did try, and you weren't able to interview because they didn't make it to say a pinnacle of the sport. Uh, it always makes me think about. Uh, I mean, you're a, hist- you're a history professor, so I mean, maybe you think about this all the time too. Who's the greatest basketball player that never had a chance to play, or who's the greatest military commander that never had a chance to be the leader of the military, and they would have taken, they would have won victory for their, you know, all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Lenny Bias in the first one.
0: Well, but that's because you know that name. I'm speaking of the person and yeah. the name. How about the person, the Aztecian that lived back in the whenever, you know, they were at the, the height of their powers and we just know they never had it. They didn't even know what basketball was, you know, like those kinds. Of, and it just, I don't know, it's a, it's a fool's errand to think about it, but it's it's yeah. just something. So,
1: yeah. Well, okay. So, speaking but of that, well,
0: let's... Let's get to your book before the listener of the show, because I want to co- touch a couple topics on your other books. Give me the title of the book, and if the listener wants to purchase one, where can they get one?
1: Women's American Football, Breaking Barriers on and Off the Field, and it's on Amazon or through the University of Nebraska Press.
0: Alrighty, and a lot of the people that I interview go through University of Nebraska Press. It's almost like they specialize in sports history, I'm kind of gathering.
1: They do have a very good sport history uh, imprint. They published my my second book, which was Le Football: The History of America, A History of American Football in France, and so they published this one as well. And they have you know some pretty good sport history. It's one of the best sport history presses, along with maybe the University of Illinois. So,
0: yeah, I know, and University of Illinois, a couple. Uh members on my network of the pilots now here's a shameless plug the sports history network if you're interested in any sports history podcast come listen to sports history com. we got a lot of podcasts on there but we have a lot of authors that sh- then then they started their podcasts and both of those presses you know they uh they they published their books through and you, you, you kind of gave me that perfect transition. I wanted to talk to you about Le Football and the history of American football in France. Give me one story from that book because I didn't realize that just doing research on you that I'm like, whoa, what's this book all about?
1: <laughs> well, I had no idea the French played football, but I, I married a French woman. And so the first time I visited her in France, <clears throat> we were having dinner with her high school best friend and her husband. And so we're having dinner, and the husband leaves the room, and he comes back in wearing a football helmet. Where'd you get that? And so he starts telling me about Les Anges Bleus, the Blue Angels, the football team he played on in the 90s. And so I thought that was pretty cool. I had no idea that the French even played football. And so I I started doing the research. I did interviews there as well, which was more difficult because my French isn't that good. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I speak French with a Nebraskan accent, which is almost incomprehensible. So, right. you know, that was a fun book to write as well. And I, once I started unraveling the thread, I found out that the American military had been playing there since uh, 1907, games off and on. And so... You know, During both World Wars, we had people playing there. We, we sent various tours to try to convince the French to play. And then finally, in the 1980s, the French decided to play themselves. When a, um, a guy went to Colorado and was watching football practice at a high school and said, you know, it would be cool if the French played this and the coach laughed at him. The French hmm. play football. Ha! And so he went and bought a bunch of equipment, took it home and had a team up and running the next day. So, huh? So that's a that was a a very fun book to write. As was women's football.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I bet just even learning about the like those little stories like that. And uh, you said second book. The first was the first book. The use of sports to promote America way of life during Cold War. Then,
1: yes, that was my from my dissertation. Well, how did you fall upon that? Why
0: was that the topic of your? I mean. And what did you find out there?
1: Well, my advisor at the University of Nebraska was um, Ben Rader, who is a sport historian. He's written a uh, baseball, America's Game. Um, he's written about televised sports, uh, general sport history of the United States. And so he was my advisor, and he suggested doing something with the um, the basketball scandal in 1950, the point-shaving scandal that broke the uh, out and then led to the creation of the executive director position with the NCAA. And I expanded it from there to talk about, you know, how cold warriors used American sports like little league and, and football to, you know, strengthen the American way of life. I mean, so coming from
0: that, uh, how's the best way to ask this question? To what extent you think that that really had an effect and impact on keeping the American way of life going?
1: Well, I don't think it's probably crucial, but it's part of the whole mix of things that, that at the time, of course, we were talking about after Sputnik went up, we had to have more math and science and all that sort of thing. But we also, on the other hand, had to be strong to fight against the Soviets should war ever come. And so, how do you get strong? You play sports. You play football. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover wrote a a letter to uh, Little League baseball officials saying, this is the best way to keep kids from becoming communists. So, (laughs) there is at least a lot of rhetorical evidence that this strengthened the American way of life. Uh, And then if you want to, If you want to look at one of my favorite movies of all time, Red Dawn, who went off into the mountains to resist the Soviets, the football team, who turned traitor, the the debate captain. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, something that I don't know enough. I didn't I didn't even know the right question to ask right there, but it's interesting to see how different things from sport and society and culture kind of clash into each other because it's all one. I mean, speaking of that, you have even, I saw one of your courses at Ohio Northern, uh, sport and society, I mean, and then football in America. I mean, How do you, I, I did not realize college courses, oh, I shouldn't say I did not realize because I've seen some, but... Like, at universities, this is credits for, like, why sports history?
1: Well, first of all, it's a popular class. People (laughs) like to take it because sports are popular. And it's a way of sort of sugarcoating history. You know, some people find history tedious. I can't understand that, but it's true. And so if you say it's the history of sport... That'll bring the people in, but then you can talk about all sorts of other things, the Cold War. You can talk all, all day about integration in the United States. You can talk about Title IX and women taking a bigger role in sports. So you can bring in so many other topics through the use of sport, um, violence in American society, all those sorts of war in sport, uh, all those sorts of topics you can bring in, and it's sort of maybe a little blindside some people who think history is tedious. They say, oh, well, yeah, okay, it's sports, and that happened. That's pretty cool. And so when I got here, I decided to start teaching some sports classes, and, you know, probably some of my colleagues at the university think that's, you know, what is he teaching sports for? But it's a good way of bringing in some important historical content and packaging it in a more palatable container.
0: No, I I can fully understand that because we utilize even just on a different playing field and just say any kind of business world, sports analogies are maybe the most common thing, period. And then of course you can relate to people better. And like you said, I mean there're sports and culture and history are at the crossroads of each other all the time they're intertwined, and you know sports get affected by culture, culture gets affected by sports blah 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 and i I think it'd be very interesting to come to one of your courses sometime It'd be, it'd be cool this, to see how you approach that. I'm um, speaking of being able to see something now that's the Delorean moment again, but I'm going to give you a little bit more flexibility because you have the keys to the Delorean this time. in fact, I'm not even in there. You can go back any period of time from one of your lectures it doesn't even have to be specifically sports related but where would you go so you could like live and 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 be part of it for like one week
1: for one week well for most of the time i tell my students you know if you ever see these movies about wanting to live in medieval times yeah it'd be awful i mean even in the i tell the students that it was awful when i was a young man uh, you know, we had to get up to change the channel on the television. You know, it was, it was horrible, horrifying. So maybe for one week. Oh, let's see. Might be fun to go back. I think it'd be fun to go back and watch the Toledo Troopers versus the Oklahoma City Dolls. And there was one game, uh championship game, where the the Dolls we uh, were kicking, I think, a field goal or an extra point, anyway, kicking. And the officials called, the, called it no good. Uh, but later on, somebody, one of the league officials started looking at film and said, yeah, that was good. And so they made it co-championships. And I'd like to be back there for that game and see for myself. I've heard it from both sides. Uh, I'd like to see if the field goal or extra point was good.
0: Yeah, I always thought that it'd be cool to be able to peer like legitimately into history. I mean, we always talk about time travel, but maybe the technology will be more readily available at some point. Of And this is just an example. I always thought for a movie, for instance, or a TV series, where let's use King Tut as an example. They have the remains, so they have DNA. The DNA somehow, similar to the Wild Wild West, where you could see their eyeballs like their last... I don't know if you remember that movie, but... You could see what they're – so in Wild Wild West with Will Smith, you could see actually Mm. like it was imprinted their last vision, like their last – what they could see, like a picture though. But this would be through the DNA somehow, the technology, blah, blah. Of course, it's all science fiction. And it could somehow then capture like their life, but you could only – but you're viewing through that person's life. So it's like you could like almost like watch a movie of exactly what happened. However, of course, when the technology turns terrorist-y, and somehow they find a way to make a portal, they go back in time, so on and so forth. So, I mean, you got to have some kind of conflict in it. But anyway, yeah, I always thought that'd be neat to actually truly be able to, you know, like maybe that versus the, con- you know, we get into their consciousness versus actually traveling in time.
1: That would be interesting. In fact, that's a, probably a better way to do it. Is that um, that takes out the whole thing of not being able to understand someone's culture? To having a culture that's just foreign to our way of thinking, uh, then they'd be used to the smells, which in the past were not great. <laughs>
0: right, right, yeah. I mean, again, it's just like it, it's taking virtual reality to the next level, and that was, you know, great, and science fiction, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, if somehow they can ever figure that out, that'd be a great, great way to be able to relive the past.
1: You should write that movie. That's a better way than going through a time machine to – go back and enter someone else's consciousness
0: well similar we'll to uh, it, it it jumped on me because of how they rebooted quantum leap recently so it made me think about it that way that's why but then my thought was it's from a historical perspective it's only you're viewing it like a movie versus actually taking over control of their body so yeah
1: that's right quantum <laughs> leap they've already done it on it
0: yeah, well, but that was different. He 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 leaped into somebody's body. He didn't. He took control. You know, that wasn't where you're just viewing the past from a lecturer's perspective. You have a thirty minute window. You could pull up and see. Okay, well, we thought that uh, Cleopatra, you know, ruined the world, but really it was all these other events that happened, like Mount Vesuvius kind of exploded, and we had the Romans come in, whatever all it was that was involved. But um, mm-hmm. so I'm getting way off subject of football right now. How about uh, last words of wisdom, maybe gridiron wisdom from a women's football league perspective through the lens of a history professor regarding sports?
1: Well, it's it's sort of like when you hear a new word, then you start seeing it and hearing it everywhere. Once uh, the the blinders fell off my eyes, and I thought, you know, football's a man's game. Uh, but once those blinders fell off. Then I started seeing women's football everywhere, and now there's women's tackle football, there's women's flag football, all over the world. Uh, They're in Australia, they're in Europe, they're in Asia, even starting to get into Africa now, in Latin America. So women are playing the American game and, in a sense, absorbing some of American culture. I suppose you could call it American cultural imperialism or or just a global marketplace of culture but they're they're saying we like this football game and so once those blinders fall away they're everywhere and they're having a blast. Of course one of the the players for the Toledo Troopers said oh yeah you know, I went to a doctor a few years ago and they said well you don't have any knee cartilage you know and she'd been playing like that for several years And so there are injuries, you know, sometimes severe injuries. Talked to one woman who um, was playing in the Women's World Championships a few weeks after she started recovery for back surgery. Back surgery, for goodness sakes, that's maybe something you don't want to mess with. But she was there on the national team helping the United States win. So, you know, it's been a blast having the blinders fall away. There you go.
0: Open up your eyes a little bit and be more willing to learn about things that you might not know that much about. Now, I hope you enjoyed this interview and have been also enjoying the Football History Do podcast over on the Sports History Network for, oh, geez, it's been almost five years in the making. We started back April 15th, 2018. And the reason why I bring that up is because Before I'm going to bounce out of here, i got to leave you with a little teaser bomb. There are going to be some changes to the show and perhaps the Football History Dude in the near future. So stay tuned to your dials and keep it on, what does they say? Same bat time, bat channel, same Football History Dude, DeLorean channel, whatever, man. Just keep it on cruise control right at 88 miles per hour. But for now, dude, I am through if you're through. Thank you
1: for listening to this episode of Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.